0: All right, good morning, ladies. This is Stephanie Yam speaking to you. Um, If we haven't met, I am the Women's Ministry Coordinator for the Old Providence site of Hope. Um, And we are on week two of our spring study. If you've been with us since the fall, you know that we've been discussing um, and talking through Jesus' encounters with women in the New Testament, which is the time that he lived on Earth. Um, We're taking a little detour today, though, and talking about Jesus interacting with children. Um, I would love for us to do some reminiscing today on being little girls, remembering what it was like to be childlike. Additionally, I think we're going to see again uh, just the totally countercultural nature of Jesus, how he continues to break up the social norms, blow up the power, um, the power paradigms, and always chooses the weak and vulnerable over the powerful. I know that I personally have been so impacted by that week after week, looking at these stories each week. and. This one is no exception. So as you know, we will start each week with a slow reading, three slow readings of the passage that we're studying. Uh, we'll read the scripture three different times and ask us to think about the passage through three different lenses, and we'll journal about that a little bit. So let's really try to make space for the spirit to listen. I'm gonna be quiet for just a minute. Take some deep breaths, relax your bodies to clear your mind i'm sure we're all coming from crazy places this morning and have a million things in our head um so let's be quiet for just a minute and then i'll pray for our time Father, would you help us to be present to your spirit, to our bodies and what's happening in them, present with each other? Would you enable us to listen to this passage with new ears? Let us hear from you this morning. Would you remind us that you have made us for yourself and that we our hearts are restless until we rest in you? Would you help us to rest in you this morning? In Jesus' name. So this first reading, um, if you'll think, just listen to the passage, you can close your eyes or not, Um, and write down a word or a phrase that draws your attention or sticks out to you. There's no right or wrong answer, um, and write that down on a piece of paper. Mark 10, 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them a word or phrase that stuck out to you. All right, as I read it again, um, think about who you identify with in the passage, the disciples, the parents, someone else, and write that down. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Who do you identify with? Right, I'm going to read it one more time. Um, this time, really feel free to engage your imagination in the story. Imagine yourself as one of the little girls who's being brought to Jesus. Um, imagine what that might feel like. Are you eager to run to Jesus? Are you hesitant? What's the look on Jesus' face as you approach him? How do you imagine well, if you imagine him, imagine him taking you in his arms and imagine how that would feel like? How would you receive that from him? People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like this little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. participating in that you may be wondering why are we doing this passage i thought this was a study on jesus and women this is about kids Um, but today i do want us to think about you and me as little girls and how we interact with jesus in matthew 14 which is another account of this same story jesus says let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of god belongs to such as these we're going to talk about childlike faith today and consider the question, what hinders you from running into the arms of Jesus like a child? So let's set the scene of our passage. We don't know exactly where this all happens, but commentators suggest that Jesus was likely teaching in a home. And I mean, I'm just picturing like the chosen in my head right now. <laughs> I feel like that show helps me like like envision what some of these stories what could have looked like, could have felt like. And so I'm imagining him in this like tight home, like, packed with people. Um, And there's the disciples standing protectively at the door. I imagine Simon Peter, like, right there with his, like, muscles and, like, keeping anyone from getting in who's not supposed to be in. And and then you have these parents lined up with all these children that are lining up to see Jesus. They want their children to see Jesus. Um, But the problem here, too, is, like, the disciples, like, they just don't really get Jesus yet. They, they have given up everything to follow him. They believe he's the Messiah. They have watched him do amazing things, amazing miracles, cast out demons. They believe in him. Um, but they still believe that he's going to rescue them from the current circumstances that they're in and that that's why he's here. That he's going to somehow conquer the Romans that they are subject to and being oppressed by. They still want Jesus' power and miracles to be noticed by the right people. People with power and influence people that matter. Obviously children don't have any of those things. So the disciples are telling these moms and dads with their little kids to go away. They are rudely sending them back home. They don't want Jesus to be bothered. They don't want his teaching to be interrupted. Now I don't know where you pictured yourself during the Lectio reading, but I couldn't help as I was reading this to resonate with the disciples. Little kids are loud, they cry, they interrupt important conversations. I have three daughters, and I'll be honest and say that I enjoy the stage that they're in now, in this like, teen and elementary age stage that they're in, because babies, it's really hard to be productive with babies and young children, and a lot of you do know this. I couldn't be productive when I had small kids, and in my, my flesh that finds way too much identity and productivity and efficiency, um, I had a really hard time with that stage of life and so once again i'm convicted by jesus's lack of efficiency in ministry we've seen over and over again in story after story that we've studied that jesus just isn't overly concerned with efficiency he cares about loving people the book that we're studying as a church right now is called you're only human and it's about realizing that god created us with limitedness and as finite creatures that we're not supposed to be superhuman And it's been such a convicting but also comforting sermon series for me as someone who really values productivity at my core level and I can really be defined by it. I need to hear over and over and over again that my weakness is what helps me see my need for and depend on Jesus. Growing in our Christian life means growing in dependency. Seeing my need for Jesus in more and more ways not becoming less needy, not becoming, or sorry, not to become less needy, but becoming more needy. I was in a conversation the other day with a recent college grad who was articulating how she always thought that growing in the Christian faith meant getting stronger and getting more information and knowing more, Um, and what she was getting at was just not being so needy, versus what we believe the Bible teaches, that as we mature, we actually become more dependent on Jesus. And we see our need for grace. We see our need for the cross more and more. And it, but it, it is so counterintuitive to worldly wisdom. So in this book, Kelly Kapick actually says that efficiency is often the opposite of love. <laughs> he said efficiency is often the opposite of love. When I first heard that, I had to re-listen to it several times. Like, wait a second, is this heretical? <laughs> is, this, is this right? But as I think about this study and how we watch Jesus choose loving others over the efficiency of his ministry over and over again, I can see the Catholic is right, and this is just another example. So Jesus notices the commotion. He notices the disciples sending all these families away. He sees what the disciples are doing. And he doesn't just smile indulgently like, it's okay, just let him in. He, he's indignant. Another translation of this verse says that he was irate angry that the disciples still don't get it. How dare you send them away? You still don't get it. Bring them to me, he says. And not just let them enter the room. I probably would have impressed, been impressed by that alone, but bring them to me. Let me stop what I'm doing. Let me hold them, let me touch them, let me bless them. So I think there's two things to note here. One, he's showing all these adults in the room, the grown-ups. In the room, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, as well as his disciples that, to our point earlier, Jesus loves the powerless. Little children bring nothing to the table. They have no influence. Isn't it interesting how different Jesus is than most of us? Most of us crave influence, right? We seek out the most beautiful people, or the people that we deem to have the most power in whatever realm that we care about. Jesus was a terrible social climber. He continually seeks out the weak and the powerless in every scenario that he's in. Secondly, he's making a very important point here about who he came to save, and he's using these children as an example of this. He's saying, listen, these children that have nothing to offer, that bring nothing to the table, nor are they trying to, this is who I came to save. This is who belongs to the kingdom of God. Those of you who think that you can prove your righteousness, that you can be good enough, that you can be competent enough, independent enough, think that you can earn God's favor, you're the opposite of this child. Truly I say to you, which is like saying, listen to what I'm saying. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. He's being so emphatic about this point, so let's flesh it out a little bit. What does it mean to be like a child? Not childish, or immature, but childlike. What does it mean exactly for us? Well, as I was thinking about the story and putting myself at the scene, I couldn't help but think of the story from my own life that I'm gonna share with you. My husband Matt and I have three daughters, 13, 11, and eight, and our middle daughter, Mary Rachel, was born with a chromosomal abnormality called Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, This has lots of implications for her and for us that I won't go into right now, but there are quite a few far-reaching challenges. She has some delays, both developmentally and cognitively. But if you know her, you probably know that she's very passionate about the things that she loves. She's like very unapologetic about the things that she loves. <laughs> Animals of all kinds, for example, but particularly dogs. And if you've met her, probably the first thing she asks you is if you have a dog. And if you said no, she probably asks you, why not? <laughs> she doesn't care. She doesn't, she's not apologetic about what she wants. So another obsession of hers is Santa Claus. And not because he brings her presents or anything like that. She hasn't even really cared about presents until very recently. But her whole life, she's been obsessed with Santa. And maybe because he's elderly, she also really loves like, older people. Um, but she, she really loves Santa. So as soon as Thanksgiving is over every year, she's, like, she's asking, when are we gonna see Santa? When are we gonna see Santa? So our tradition has always been to go to South Park Mall because it's easy. Um, but for the past few years, if you have done that, you've noticed that it's just gotten a lot harder. I guess with COVID, there are long lines. You have to get appointments. You have to, well, this past year you had to get an appointment online ahead of time and you had to commit to like a 40 or $50 photo package online before you even go. So I'm like, that's ridiculous. I scouted out a different Santa. We went and we were going to, we were going to go and do that. But. I had had taken her to South Park Mall in December for a different reason, to pick something up. And of course, we had to walk by the area where he sits in all his glory, his Christmas glory. (laughs) Um, We did not have an appointment. There were long lines. But as soon as she saw him, she just starts running. And she's gone. And I'm calling after her, and I'm yelling that you can't just bust up on Santa. (laughs) But she ignores me. She runs past the photo- all the photographers and the little guard people, and she just runs up to him and hugs him and tells him she loves him. She doesn't care that she broke in line. She doesn't care that we didn't pay. We did not have a spot or a package reserved. She doesn't want anything from him. She can't even eat the candy canes that he gives out. She just wanted to see and hug Santa. So she did. And I'm all like embarrassed and apologetic, and she's as happy as she can be. She got what she wanted. She got to hug Santa, and she truly believed that he wanted to see her too. And I think the reason I kept thinking of this story as I was sitting this passage is because I think this is an aspect of what Jesus is getting at. This is being childlike. No fearfulness at what people think, how she's dressed, whether or not she deserves to see him. She hasn't paid her way. Do we believe that we can come to Jesus like that? that that's actually what he wants from us. That he doesn't require us to fancy ourselves up, have a certain number of quiet times a week, or have stopped struggling with some certain sin. I struggle to believe that. On becoming spiritually childlike, Tim Keller says it this way, being a Christian means dependency. You have to rely completely on what someone else, Jesus, has done, and not on yourself or anything you've done. You have to rely completely on him. Children know they're helpless. They need and want everything from you. Children expect to be loved. A typical four-year-old walks in a room and they're sure that everyone is interested in what he or she has to say. They're positive that everyone will find them completely fascinating. They're totally sure of acceptance. All of us were like that at one point. And then at some point in our childhood that changed. It could have been traumatic or it could have just been a gradual process. But at some point, each of us went from an innocent and shameless belief that we were loved and valued and delighted in to being insecure, feeling exposed, ashamed, or just playing it safe. Are we aware enough of our stories to remember when this happened or at least have a general idea when that happened. And more importantly, are we aware of the ways it shapes our relationship with our Heavenly Father who delights in us and wants us to run to him, even more than Santa wanted Mary Rachel to run to him? Like I said, for most of us, this, was a, this growing up or losing our childlikeness was a gradual process of life just happening to us. One of these key, key moments for me was when I was 13, I grew up in a conservative fairly sheltered world i had gone to a small christian school up to that point um, and then we moved into a different neighborhood and i made some new friends that invited me into their world and i realized all of a sudden that i knew nothing about the real world uh, it hit me how sheltered i had actually been and i had this realization that i was in the dark i didn't know about teen style or the books and magazines that regular girls were into, and I felt like silly and insecure and ashamed to be this new girl who didn't know anything about anything. This new insecurity drove me to, I- I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna figure all of it out, and I'm gonna be hyper aware of how everyone how everyone perceives me. I felt like I needed to do a better job managing how others saw me. I didn't want to totally blend into the world. I still love Jesus, but I didn't want to be seen as clueless either. I wanted to be cool enough, pretty enough, popular enough. I wanted to know enough. My insecurities carried over to my spiritual life as they always do. I knew that God loved me in general, but did I believe I was good enough, loved enough, special enough that he would seek me out, that he would want me to run to him, run and push past crowds to see him and hug him? No, I didn't. I stopped living as a daughter who fully believed she was enough, worthy enough, delighted in, and sought after. I grew up, and not in a good way. Can you think about when this happened for you or what that process looked like for you? Do you remember it happening? And what about now? What hinders you now from running into the arms of Jesus like a child now? I think for me, it took lots of heartache and struggle in my life. And then getting to bear witness to his amazing grace to me, years of it, for me to get some childlike faith back. I think struggle can do that. I think struggle, life struggle and pain and brokenness are what can sometimes make us grow up in a bad way and make us lose like that childlike faith. But I'm so thankful for the ways that he's pursued me. He's used use this community, this very grace-centered community that he's been so gracious to give me so many years ago that has been a safe place for me to process my story my losses, my grief, but also celebrate and laugh with me. This community here has helped me take baby steps towards getting that childlike faith back again, laughing with me, helping me believe my father wants good things for me, believing he delights in me, helping me to see that, no, I'm not enough (laughs) in so many areas of my life, and that's okay because I have a father who is enough, and I can lean on that. So what is it for you? What hinders you? And can you believe that whatever that is, Jesus, he's past it. He's looking for you. He's beckoning you. I think this passage also has some implications for us who are parents. Um, And for those of you who aren't, just bear with me for just a minute or substitute something else that you really care about. Jesus loves these children. He loves them so much that he stops all of his important work that he came to earth to do to, work, to, to stop that, to hold and bless these children. Do we believe that Jesus loves our kids? That he loves them more than we do? Can you imagine literally letting go of your child? Letting Jesus take them for himself. After all, they do belong to him. And put them in his arms, not yours. And believe that he'll bless them. That he has let us parent them on earth. But ultimately, we're just stewards of our kids here. Paul Tripp, in his book entitled Parenting, calls this an ownership view of parenting versus an ambassador view of parenting. What he means is that as parents, we are called to just be vessels in our children's lives. We're freed up not to live in anxiety and stress about what school they're in or what school they'll go to or if they have the exact right friends or where they'll go to college, or every aspect of their future. Not that these things don't matter, not that we're not gonna think about them, but we are called to believe that God is sovereign in the lives of our kids. That he will work through us in our kids' lives. That we can trust God with our kids because he loves them and he loves us. And it's not up to us to make sure our kids have their best lives, or it's not even up to us for them to make our kids have the lives we think they should have. It's too heavy a burden for us to carry. And I know that there are women out there right now listening that have kids that have grown up now and living on their own that could stand up here right now and attest to this. It's hard. We have to trust Jesus with our kids. We don't have control. We have an illusion of control. But I think pretending we do have control robs us and our kids of the opportunity to, to watch Jesus work. Also the anxiety that comes along with that illusion. Childlike faith means that we can rest and delight in our Father's love for us, for me. And out of that faith, we can begin to be more open-handed with our relationships, all of our relationships, but particularly with our kids. We can relax the grip. We can stop stressing about the details of their lives and we can pray for them. We can talk to Jesus about them, cry out to him, be honest with him. We can trust that he will provide for us and our kids. And that that's actually what he wants from us, to, to lean on him and model that for our children, to, to let them see us depending on Jesus. This is verse 16. He took them in his arms and he blessed them. He blessed them. He wants us to come to him, to feel his delight in us, his daughters. So going back to the story about me, Rachel, and Santa, just to wrap that up. So when we got in the car to go home, I was like, me, hey, Rachel, you can't just run up to Santa like that. We didn't see him in line. We didn't have an appointment. In other words, I was telling her she did not deserve to see him. <laughs> and she said to me, "Mom, he didn't mind at all. Santa wanted me to come and see him." Can we be childlike enough to believe that this is actually true about Jesus? Can we put down our grown-up vows from our childhood wounds and our fierce independence and competence, and be a little bit like me, and Rachel? That's the invitation today, what's hindering us. Let's get to small groups.